This is Geeks and Jacks. And welcome back to Geeks and Jacks, episode 142, recording February 16th, 2023. This is Ryan Solomon, glad to have you here. Before getting into this episode, this podcast is on anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. So I don't download those places. Search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So, what do we got to talk about? Obviously, the Super Bowl. Talk about a little bit of PBS. Talk a couple of things, such as pretty weak uh, weekend for for movies, with uh, the number three one being. Uh, not too stunned by it, but you wonder how the numbers could have been maybe better for some other movies in it. A few other things here in this episode of Geeks and Jocks. So let's jump into the obvious. Super Bowl. Super Bowl happened on Sunday. Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs prevailed in Arizona. 38-35. Pretty tight game altogether, especially once the uh, second half came about and the Chiefs came back from a pretty small amount deficit. Pretty smart uh, play calling late in the game to kick the field goal. With about eight seconds left in the game, so all things considered, I mean, pretty good all together by the Chiefs to cobble together, get back into the fray, and beat Philadelphia. Uh, Pat Mahomes, one eighty-two, three touchdowns. The number in passing yards pretty small. I give them credit. For giving the Pacheco guy 15 carries, 76 yards in the score, and Jarek McKinnon actually had a couple uh, touches for 34 yards. Travis Kelsey with a touchdown, Kadarius Tony with one, and uh, this Moore guy, I think he's a defensive guy. Juju Smith Schuster gets his Super Bowl, as does McKinnon and a couple others. They did get to uh, Jalen Hurts early. As far as Philadelphia goes, the offense I did not think was going to be good. As far as Hurts overall, he did pretty well. 304 and a score, and he ran for three touchdowns, which tied a Super Bowl record that Terrell Davis did long ago. But Hertz was the only good rusher. And this is one of the things I've never really seen in Philadelphia. They're, they're good, but they, they're so inconsistent in running the football. I don't know if they just don't have faith in Miles Sanders... And Kenneth Gainwell and even Boston Scott to a point. 
But here's the thing. Devontae Smith had a really good game. A.J. Brown caught a touchdown. Smith, 7 for 100. Brown, 6 for 96. Even Dallas Goddard had a good game, 6 for 60. The rest, not so much. Miles Sanders had a good year. He got to 1,000 yards for the first time in his career, and I believe he had 11 touchdowns for the year. There's some questions on the officiating. I'll kind of admit a little bit. I think the Bradbury penalty late in the game, eh, it's, I don't, it, was, it looked like a tug, but it didn't look like he was holding him deliberately. Uh, you be the judge. I, I heard some stuff favoring Philadelphia early on and then favoring Kansas City. It's You're, you're never going to get anybody to agree. But to uh, screw up with, what was it, like three minutes to go in the game? Oh, boy. The Eagles actually did pretty well in fourth down. Two for two. 72 plays versus 53. A combined four punts. That is pretty good, all things considered. Playing the way they want to play. So where does this stand for Philadelphia? I think outside of the defense trying to do whatever they could despite giving up all their points, I think their biggest problem is, is their run game. Hertz is here to stay. I think he silenced his doubters, considering how shaky he looked at points in 2021, and obviously being thrown into the lion's den in 2020, following the disasters of Carson Wentz and the coaching of Doug Peterson. He's definitely matured for the most part. The question is, is this going to be the case of another guy in the same vein as Donovan McNabb, Randall Cunningham, all this talent, but does he get hurt? Does Hurts get hurt? I don't know. I would like to think this guy is smart. And know when to make the right choice on sliding, running, throwing, what have you. I think I think the play calling definitely needs to be looked at. Yeah, at least have some faith in Miles Sanders. Try to use Sanders a bit more. Try to use Gainwell or Scott a bit more. Now, as far as the Chiefs go, everyone's going to be hating on them. And I think the amount of slobbering some people will have, Chris Collinsworth particularly, they'll have for Pat Mahomes and some of these other guys. I think Travis Kelsey has solidified himself as a Hall of Famer, I think, with what he's done over the course of 10 seasons, mostly nine. The fact that they ran the ball with Pacheco and he managed to have a good game out of it, it just makes me wish Kansas City would 
utilize their running backs a little bit more. They're not in in a different situation. They're it's similar to what Philadelphia had. They don't run the ball well at times, and they got good running backs. McKinnon, unbelievable season as far as receiving stats go. He was a good guy to to throw the ball to late in the season. It's just a matter of... It's just a matter of who will they be confident in. Definitely solidifies Andy Reid's legacy as a whole. Heard about this is being pretty strict on not letting the players watch the Rihanna halftime show. And it's obvious, uh, speaking of that, the TV stuff, the commercials. There were some interesting ones. But I didn't really get a chance to look at them at all in the course of the last couple of weeks. Definitely will have to look at some of them. Uh, saw a few towards the end, particularly the the John Travolta one with the two scrub guys. And a commercial for the uh, Strays movie. Which I'm thinking, this looks like a cute film. <laughs> like, is this supposed to be like a kid's film? Nope, R-rated. <laughs> So and I actually had a chance to look at the trailer for that uh, not too long ago. So I'm pretty curious about it. Comes out in June. So that might be another movie I might think about seeing in the theater. All things considered. Now obviously we have some other stuff in other sports... The big one I can think of is the NBA with Kyrie Irving going to Dallas. And I believe Kevin Durant got traded as well. Who? Oh boy, Phoenix. I think this was a disaster for the Brooklyn Nets. And this will be looked at as probably one of the biggest super team busts of all time. Shoot, they fired Steve Nash, what, a couple games in? If not before the season began? You look at the mess. I mean, the Knicks are in their third year with Tom Thibodeau. I mean, they're not playing horribly. But they're not playing as playing great either. However, when you look at some of the years in the Knicks in the last ten years, they've looked atrocious. But at the very least, they're capable of winning 35-40 games a year. They're at least capable of that, and Thibodeau knows how to coach a team. He's had success because of that. Look at what he did in Chicago. Remember being at teenager late in the 2000s crazy just how good that team was in Chicago with those guys getting as far as what the Eastern Conference in 2009 2010 I think lost to Boston if I remember correctly 
But when you look at the Nets, they've kind of in the same spot as the Knicks. It's just a mediocre franchise, maybe a little more mediocre. But there was points over the last 20 years or so where the Nets were the bigger team out in the New York, New Jersey area. I mean, they made it to the finals in 02, lost to the Lakers. Trying to think of any other instances, can't really think of anything else. I mean, these were three guys, I think Irving, Durant, and James Harden. Harden's in Philadelphia, I believe, and doing pretty well. I mean, the Philly, Philly's trusting the process with some of their players, and they've looked pretty good for the most part. It's just a matter of seeing if Doc Rivers collapses again like he has for most of his coaching tenure. In the case of Irving, there's just something wrong with the guy mentally. I don't think... I don't think he's going to be normal whenever his career ends. I don't know if it's a health issue or if he's just not there mentally compared to where he was 10 years ago. This guy could have been easily a Hall of Famer. Could have easily been one. He's not a bad player when he plays. And his debut not too long ago with the Mavericks was pretty good. As far as Durant goes, I don't know what to tell you. It's just team hopping, looking for super team stuff. Uh, I think if he stuck to playing in Golden State, I don't think in my opinion, that he would get so much hate. I mean, team hopping, sure, maybe a little bit of hate, but otherwise, instead of trying to chase other stuff and do all these other things, it just makes him look like a prick. He just he just looks like he's getting worse and worse in terms of emotion and attitude. No doubt he'll be a Hall of Famer for sure, but he just doesn't look all that great as far as off the court. Spring training's coming up for baseball, and so... One of the bigger stories that I'm thinking of is this caught my eye, I believe, yesterday. And that was Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge was found playing first base. No joke. No joke. first base, the Yankees have had a struggle with first base, I would say, over the course of the last eight to ten years, particularly once Mark Teixeira started declining. When you think about first base over the course of the last 30 to 40 years, you think of Don Mattingly. Tino Martinez, a little bit of Jason Giambi and a couple others, and Teixeira. First base has been one of their struggles. I think 
the Yankees are looking at a situation where down the road, the arm strength, the judge, will not be there anymore, and maybe he may not cover as much as he gets older in right field or even center field. You see that with some players, if there's like a weakness to them, or if they can't do the specific position they they can't do, then they move them to somewhere else. I'll use Craig Biggio as an example, the Astro Great. When he came up, he was a catcher. Played catcher for a while and then went to second base. If you look at some of his stats at second base and as a hitter, he was looking really good. That's how he managed to get to 3,000 hits at the tail end of his career. I believe he went to the outfield later on during his career. Which is pretty impressive, I think. And lastly, talk you know, a tiny bit of NASCAR. Daytona 500's coming up. We had the Clash not too long ago. So there is some interesting things going on. Particularly with how they handled a situation with Bubba Wallace. So Bubba Wallace, the guy has talent. He's capable of bringing in a top five car, maybe even a winner. Though there's been times where his attitude could be better. It could absolutely be a lot better. And I think NASCAR is going to keep an eye on him and definitely some of these other definitely some of these other drivers as the year goes on. Pretty obvious. We're going to be seeing retaliations because one of the bigger stories that I'm thinking of is Kyle Busch calling Joey Logano two face. I mean that. I mean that's been a rivalry for such a long, long time, going back to. To just recently departing from Joe Gibbs Racing. I mean, Kyle Busch does have an attitude. I'll give him that. And who knows what will happen. I mean, maybe this is the kind of Dale Earnhardt situation that... That probably Richard Childress likes in Kyle. I'm just guessing. But in the case of Bubba Wallace retaliated very late in the in the clash and he actually got penalized for the under the caution and this is something that will definitely 
come into play. Uh, center the tail of the field on lap 143 for reckless driving. I don't think... I don't think... It's just tempers flaring and drivers, you know, trying to get past others and they just dump someone. And this is the kind of attitude that I think Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan, they need to tell this guy to keep his cool. And this is going to be the case, I think, with some other teams as well. Because there's no doubt, I think the Ross Chastain, I think, is going to piss off a lot of people. I think he's going to piss off a lot of drivers. Who knows if Hamlin retaliates and see if there's any restrict restrictions or on what goes on later on in the year, or if there's penalties. It's going to make for an interesting 2023. Especially as Logano tries to defend his cup, which is his second, following the 2018 one with, with his first one. Some other drivers, you know, you hope for someone like Brad Keselowski to improve following a disappointing year. Does Kevin Harvick go away a winner, or does he fall flat on his face? And just there's so many storylines going on this year, I think, that will make 2023 maybe a year to remember for for NASCAR. So moving on, going over to the box office, box office mojo to be exact. Kind of a week weekend with no movie making 10 plus million that should be kind of a scary thought so the leading movie was Magic Mike's Last Dance the first Magic Mike did pretty well Critically and commercially. Not like critically acclaimed, but definitely liked enough. Did really well. And then the sequel didn't do as much. And being number one, Magic Mike's Last Dance at $8.3 million. I can't imagine this movie being that expensive to make, but... It... it so far, sitting at 11 million domestic, 10.2 internationally, so just over 21 million. This was supposed to be the big Valentine's weekend type thing. Yeah, I can't imagine this movie making 25 million. And that's a matter of word of mouth is good or bad. So, I have no doubt, probably WB's got a failure on their hands. Number two. And number three is actually another James Cameron thing. By the way, uh, Avatar, The Way of Water at number two, sitting at 7.2 million. 
nearing 650 million as it stands right now domestically and about 1.567 billion just hit across 2.2 billion so obviously its legs are still there after two two months in theaters still going strong ninth week in the theater and his other work Titanic got re-released on its 25th anniversary re-release the 25th anniversary was actually in December but obviously with it being a fictional romantic drama set around the real life events of the Titanic and its sinking 6.7 million over the weekend don't know if this is going to be out for a while or not or if it's just for the weekend okay okay it was out the last couple of days so this is going to be out probably for another week or two if I had to guess so it's made 9 million so far and just over 20 million so people love their Titanic people really love it Number four, 80 for Brady, sitting at 5.8 million over the weekend. It's got to be doing okay. The numbers aren't as bad as I thought. 27 million right now. So this probably has a chance, if I had to guess, to crack maybe anywhere between 32 to 35 million. Yeah, it's hard to guess, but. You know, it being the Super Bowl's already over, who knows what happens next. But, you know, older people might go see it. Maybe some big uh, Brady fans might. And not too far behind the next couple of movies. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish at number 5, 5.5. So it's... Wow, it crossed 160 million as it stands right now. Just over 400 million. The legs on this one, it, it refuses to die. This thing is keeping its nine lives intact. <laughs> I mean, there really isn't anything for kids. That, that's all I can keep saying. There really isn't anything for kids. And the fact that it's still pulling in decent numbers, I mean, that that says a lot. I don't think DreamWorks has seen something like this in a good while. No joke. Like, think of the last time they had a movie that made $400 million. Probably had been, what, five, six years ago? Maybe... Maybe shorter. It's just crazy to think that. Number six. This was the number one movie last week. Knock at the Cabin. 5.4 million. Sitting now at 40 million worldwide. 25 plus domestic and almost 14 and a half internationally. I don't know if it just 
came at the wrong time or if some people just tire of M. Night Shyamalan. I don't know. Number seven, A Man Called Otto. 2.6 million. Definitely enjoying a small amount of profit as it hit as it stands right now. 58 million domestic and almost 35 internationally. It might reach 100 million worldwide, though it might just fall a little short. Number eight, missing. Just barely getting to 2.5 million and sitting at 27 million. Don't have really anything else to comment. I'm surprised this movie isn't at international theaters unless they were not confident in it uh, number 9 Megan 2.4 million kind of surprised the movie's still chugging along just went over 90 million sitting at 91.8 and domestically and internationally 75.3 Whatever small numbers, I mean, still doing well enough. And number 10, Plane, at 1.2 million. Okay, the numbers are not horribly. 31.2 million domestic and almost 14.8 internationally. So it's got to be making like a small amount of profit, if I had to guess. Would it? So as far as what's coming out, let's see what we got. Because Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey just came out, as well as the wide release of of Marlowe, a 1930s like drama film of a detective. There was another one that just came out as well. Where are you? Yeah, Met Opera, The Madam Whip. So the big release coming out this weekend is Ant-Man and the Wasp. I would think this movie would do pretty well. But given how some of the Marvel movies have kind of struggled in the last couple of years... But with some resurgence with Doctor Strange 2 and what was the other movie? Uh, Black Panther 2. I would think this movie would do decent. However, will people bite on it? Because I feel like Ant-Man is not exactly something that can lead a charge. But then again, kind of a weak month to put Ant-Man in. So maybe it does better than one might expect. A couple of lim- limited releases. What comes around of an age, a re-release of a movie from last year, Susu River, Hidden Blade, Emily and Devil's Peak. 
And then a couple other big releases next week on the 24th, along with a lot a lot of limited releases. The Cocaine Bears coming out next week, and the other big uh, wide release next week is Jesus Revolution. It's a true story of a national spiritual awakening in the 70s. It's origins within a community of teenage hippies. Hmm. Let's see if there's anything else, really. A couple other big movies at the start of March. But otherwise, not too much. Just a lot of limited releases, obviously. <sighs> Man. One of the big things going on with Disney, speaking of that, in regards to what they're trying to put out, they got plans to make sequels of some movies. Which, that's a given. A new Zootopia, a new Inside Out, and one that I'm not sure if people will be happy or not, a fifth Toy Story movie. Supposedly trying to get and bring back both Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. I wonder if this is Disney's attempt to try to save face for what they did last year with their Lightyear movie, which failed very, very badly. As far as the inside out thing be curious to see I mean I've, I haven't seen the movie I've you know what I've seen the very end of it I wonder if they'll age the girl character that the emotions are inside of they they made the character what like a adolescent like preteen adolescent be curious to see what kind of age progression they'll have for the character, for the girl and her family. That was like a big hit back in 2015. That was like the one of the big hits that summer. Not sure. Not sure if it'll have the same type of power, like like a Toy Story or even something like a Monsters University. Or shit, even Incredibles 2. And I think Incredibles 2 is way better than the first movie. Zootopia, I know there's a lot of love for that movie. Did pretty well in 2016. Just trying to think of... You know, what... What could you possibly do with Toy Story 5? Is there really any ideas that can be used? I'm struggling to think of anything. I don't know if they'll try to have this be the last movie overall, because obviously a number of the voice actors, the celebrity, they're passing away. 
I don't know how much more you can do with Tom Hanks and Tim Allen and the very few actors that are still alive to still reprise their characters. I'll be curious whenever this comes out and whether this will have the same type of critical acclaim like the first four movies and if this movie makes over a billion. I mean, five movies in over 30 years span, I mean, that's pretty good. I think it's really good. (sighs) Moving on to TV. Now, PBS... How would you describe their situation? They're entirely dependent on viewers that to join in and watch what they have. But they are definitely a far cry from where they were 25, 30 years ago. Especially when they had stuff like Barney. <laughs> would you expect Barney to get a reboot because I sure as hell wouldn't have thought that. There is plans for an animated reboot. And i seen the redesign. And I gotta be... I gotta be honest. It... Oh my goodness. Supposed to be coming out next year, according to Mattel. New film, toys, and adult apparel are also in the works. Are they trying to cater to people that grew up on the show back then and try and get a new generation of people? It looks... The design looks creepy. It looks like something you'd see... At like an amusement park. It actually looks like something you'd see on The Simpsons... That gets punched in the gut by Homer. Or pranked by Bart. So is this coming to PBS? Again? Or is this going to be on something else? Because this is obviously going to be somewhere else. I mean, very polarizing. I think that's an understatement. Yeah, 92 through 2010. So, I thought it was 09. (laughs) Oh, man. Charles Barkley... (laughs) Uh, Mattel's latest attempt to resurrect its heritage brands for new audiences. Yeah, Masters in the Universe. I mean, Hot Wheels is still big. I mean, there's some of them video games. Barbie's going to have a movie, what, this summer, I think? There's a way to rekindle the fuzzy memory reason feelings of the old days and try and bring in a new generation of people. 
just thinking that is it, is it just Mattel or is it is PBS involved in some way? Because PBS is struggling just like any other network. Be curious to see what kind of stuff materializes over the next year. I'll tell you one thing that's uh, materializing right now. Some of the stuff with that Velma show that's been on for just over a month now. So Velma has been derided really since before it came out a couple weeks ago. So this show just found itself in a heap of controversy again. A sickle cell joke. Yeah. It's pretty bad. And this is... It's edgy for the sake of being edgy and failing to be having good... Good edgy material. I mean, this is not just something like one side is just saying, oh, this show sucks. Just about everybody is saying the show sucks. Called out for insensitive humor, which didn't wait long to deliver. Joke uttered by... So is this in the first episode? So people are just discovering the joke now? Or is it moving more into it? Again, anema, I have a disease where I can't recognize people who basically sickle cell for rich people. <laughs> oh, man. And the sad thing, I would love to see an asshole animated version of Glenn Howerton. That would actually be pretty funny. Like, really funny. Sickle Cell isn't some punchline. This is from a tweet on Twitter. Isn't some punchline to put in an HBO Max show where discriminating against care, which causes further harm to our physical and mental. Ignorant jokes like this make it that much harder for systemic change just to occur for better treatment. You could say, you can make that argument for some of these other people who have different types of diseases. Okay, yeah, this person's trying to make it a race issue. Holy moly. It's more than just black people are suffering from sickle cell crap. But, yeah. 1.4 rating on IMDb, which makes it the worst of the animated shows, like, ever. It's in the top ten for worst of all time. Some foreign stuff. There were a couple... A couple English shows that made it onto the list, which... Not too surprising, their reality or 
late night stuff. There's Lily Singh's thing, uh, the Kardashians, the Honey Boo Boo show. Not too surprising. And with all that, there is going to be a season two. And I listened to some stuff about a week or two ago on why there will be a second season. And the issue is these shows are are, are being produced for a long time. It's not easy to get an animated show in and out lickety split within a year. It takes a couple of years. At least now these days. One of the examples I'll bring up is Tasmania. So Tasmania was on Fox for four years. But they produced enough episodes within a two-year span so they could just air whatever the episodes... It was I don't think it had any continuity, so they could just air whatever they wanted, so... Four years, 65 episodes. The 65 episodes were produced within a two-year span. I think that's what's happening with some other cartoons as well. It's taken a long time and maybe some leftover episodes for a cartoon to be put onto the air as like one final season. I think a lot of people will be upset at it, but at the same time, it has more to do, I think, with being taken a long time to get produced. Don't know if that problem applies with other things, but that's what happens. Be curious to see if anybody bites on watching season two if the show... Continues to be on HBO Max. And lastly, talk... Talk gaming, talk a couple of things. So, Hogwarts Legacy just came out over the weekend. Doing well critically in some spots, and obviously the sales have been pretty strong. There was one case of a review, and I'm sure there's some bias on other sites as well, but Wired put out their review of Hogwarts Legacy and the thing is really? You couldn't give out a better score? Hold on. Yeah, Wired Hogwarts Legacy Review. Trying to find... (laughs) So, I'm not sure if I'll take Outkick's word for granted. But, essentially, the person that reviewed it is a is a trans person, Jaina Gray. I just, I just, words cannot describe how bad. I mean, the fact that there's criticism all around 
Yeah, I'm, I, I'm trying to find one that isn't your typical like Outkick or Fox News or any of that. The only thing I could find really is a, a channel called Clownfish TV. And they do stuff on YouTube and a few other things. So, according to what the review was going on with, the person was trans, doesn't like J.K. Rowling. The editor-in-chief endorsed the review... Yeah. That does not make you look good. Especially when you're trying to review something and letting your personal bias aside. So, for example, I don't really care for Marvel movies. If I worked a job and and they told me to review... Marvel movies, I would tell them I don't like Marvel go find someone else because if I am forced to watch it, I probably would not give as glowing a review compared to others I'm sure that would apply to other people as well and it could apply to anything as well Uh, book, TV show gaming, anything any product so What I'll say is that when you're reviewing something, you have to leave your bias at home or leave your bias to the side and not get so wrapped up in your political beliefs and other types of beliefs that it ruins the review in question. And when you don't try to be fair about it, you're going to get hate. You have to justify your reasons for why you think said game is good, why said game is bad, why you think it's underrated, overrated, why you don't think it's good if you're if you're gonna put out a one out of ten review for a game look into why the game why you think the game is bad not just because ooh politics this person doesn't have the same politics as me I mean I, I, the only thing I can think of for game reviews is that I don't think I've played a game that's one out of ten I've played some that are two out of ten. With one redeeming feature or two that keeps it from being one out of ten. The example I'll bring is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade on Sega Game Gear. The graphics are probably the best part of the game. Otherwise, if the graphics weren't good, it would be one out of ten. Because otherwise, the controls are not that great. You have to restart from the beginning of the level. The time limit sucks. Not enough screen real estate. I mean, I know it's a handheld, but could have shrunken it down a little bit. The whip is useless. It just, it 
It's not a well-designed game. I think at the end of the day, it's going to hurt a lot of companies because I wouldn't be surprised if developers and publishers stop doing review copies for certain companies. Especially if it's going to be people who are more concerned about political stuff and being biased on their personal feelings compared to reviewing the actual product and stating what is good and what is bad without letting their bias get the best of them. And there will always be bias. Let's just get that out of the way. There will always be bias. It's a matter of how well you can hold your bias. And if there's a little bit of bias, I don't think it'll I don't think it'll cause any harm. When there's a lot, it'll cause harm, I think. But yeah, this is just reviewing is a joke, journalism's a joke. No one wants to be a journalist in, a, in an honest way. And a new thing, actually, I just saw recently in the last few hours, something about a lot of people now believe that news, news places, news sites, they're misleading I wouldn't be too surprised, especially if anyone gets their news from any of the big four, CBS, NBC, ABC, or Fox, or really anybody. I mean, CNN's been struggling really badly lately. Their CNN this morning thing's been a disaster. I think it was about a week or two ago, their lowest ratings in a long time. Long, long time. I think it's not just the case of cables so fractured. They because they had ratings that were really good a couple of years back and way down a cliff. And the last thing I'll bring up is a panic amongst people who are kind of concerned about the Xbox 360. So recently there was a delisting of games for the Xbox 360. About 45, 46 games being delisted last week. And there's a lot of concern that there was a tweet or something that was put up that the 360 marketplace will shut down in May of this year. So, a little less than three months now. But, a spokesperson that spoke to IGN, it was posted accidentally and confirmed that it will not be shut down in, in May. I think some people are not biting on what the guy said. They're not buying into it. I think because what if Microsoft sneaks up on everyone and says, hey, we are shutting it down. 
sorry for a while back. Keep in mind that the 360 itself just turned 17 back in November. November 05 ran for over 10 years, discontinued in 2016. Games coming out until maybe 2018 at the latest. I'll be surprised if there's any games from 2019. But yeah, the last titles of really that particular generation for Wii, PS3, 360, they were about 2018-2019 with PS3 getting the last well, PS3 and Wii getting the last laugh in 2020 with that Shakedown Hawaii game. Actually, if you ever get a chance to play that game, it's a pretty good game that mocks the ridiculousness of what capitalism was like in the 80s, GTA 5, and GTA in general, less emphasis on pop culture like what Retro City Rampage did. Both of these are good games, but I would say Shakedown Hawaii is the better game. Anyway, I would have a little bit of optimism that it won't shut down. However, at the same time, I would try to start saving up. Because my gut tells me something will happen later this year, if not sometime into 2024. But I also think Microsoft might learn its lesson a bit from what happened about almost two years ago with Sony planning on shutting down the PS3, Vita, and PSP stores. The backlash caused Sony to not shut down PS3 and Vita. They did shut down PSP. In my opinion, I think the fans and people that are still regulars of those two systems, they do need to get to the realization that these systems are not going to have their storefronts forever. I look at it similar to people who complain about oh, no online for PC game or PS3 game. Well, if there was regular maintenance, it wouldn't be such a big problem. But as the tech gets older and older, it becomes harder and harder for the developers to keep eye on what is good and what is bad with the servers. One guy ruined Little Big Planet 1 through 3 for everybody, and now you can't even play online for. PS3 Little Big Planet games. Because of one person being vulgar and vicious on the online servers. And that's really disappointing. And obviously, you get stuff like hackers, which is why stuff such as, say, Half Life, Medal of Honor, Allied Assault 
they don't have their multiplayer anymore because of that, as the tech has gotten older and it's harder and harder to maintain. Even as these games can be played on modern hardware today. They work now. Will they work more and more in the future? Emulation is very finicky. But anyway, back to the original point. Have some optimism on the 360. Go into the mindset of... They say they're not shutting down but maybe try to save up a bit over the course of the next month or two so that if there is the inevitable shutdown, you'll have enough if you think you've had enough, if you bought enough, excuse me, to get what you want on the storefront, download what you can, put in your download history before the storefront shuts down. It's going to happen inevitably, I hope people don't get too upset about it. So that should wrap up this episode here. As I said before, this podcast is on anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So that is episode 142. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, take care of yourself, take care everyone.